Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 110. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the acclaimed Vermont author, Michael Fried Thal. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Great. Thanks for for having me on. You're welcome. And I, it's... And I got to say, I'm really excited. So you're also one of the uh, uh, the, the root, rootstock rootstock publishing uh, folks, authors uh, that you can find all about on rootstock publishing. And you just came out with a book uh, nine days ago, right? September uh, 21st. Right. Yeah, the book officially came out on the 21st. Right. But, yeah. And and so when we're gonna we're gonna jump in and and, and talk a bit about about your book. Um, um, Haradno burning, correct? Correct. Is that I, I said it right. Okay. You did. But it actually originally it was going to have a different name. If I, if I, according to my research, your right? research is really impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> the Haradno bookshop lady, correct? Well, actually, uh, for a long time it was called Garfinkel Spirits. Okay, that, right. that's the name of the uh, the distillery. Uh, the uh, vodka distillery in the uh, in the book okay and you know I, some people didn't like that name uh particularly my daughter my daughter-in-law <laughs> um so uh i i ended up uh, somebody actually suggested this name to me and i, I thought it was a apt title okay um and and we'll get in and, and kind of talk a bit about it uh in a little bit but i wanted to kind of give you know either our listeners and our viewers a, a little bit of background on how you got into writing this book. Sure. Well, um, my my parents uh, both passed away in 2009. Um, and <clears throat> the, year, uh, the year my mom died, actually, I had planned, we had talked for years and years about uh, going together to Clymer, Pennsylvania, okay. which is where she grew up. Uh, it's a small, small coal, mount, coal mining town in the western part of the state, and unfortunately, her her um, yearly reunions or five year reunions always coincided with the start of school for me. Um, so I never made that trip. And then the year I finally was going to do it, no matter what, uh, she passed away. <laughs> so I had I felt like I had this unfinished business. Um, I knew my father's side of the family really well because they are um, all New Yorkers. They're extroverted, very political, very involved, very verbal. You never have to guess what they're thinking. Uh, my mother's side of the family, uh, her, her father, my grandfather was very taciturn, never didn't say much. Um, and um, her side of the family was not as educated, although she, she was very bright and she went to college. Um, and so, but as a result of all that, I knew a lot less about her side of the family. And I did some work on ancestry.com. And for a while, I thought I was going to be writing more of a memoir type book about my mother's family, because it's an interesting story. Um, they did come from the Pale Settlement, uh, 
which is an area uh, was an area of the Russian Empire where uh, Jews were. Um, it was sort of a, where they were permanently could permanently reside. They weren't allowed into Russia, right? The, the main part of Russia, and you know there were stories about escaping from the Tsar's army and the, the trip over. Nothing really terribly detailed or specific. Just just a lot of impressions. Um, so I, you know, I I actually went to Clymer with uh, my cousin. Uh, whose um, mother was my mother's sister, my aunt. And we went there probably 2010 or maybe 2011. We met with a, a, a guy who had, uh, who was a town historian. We learned all about the town. And a lot of really interesting things that would make an interesting novel um, at some, some point. Uh, the year my mother was born, there was a coal mining accident in the town and killed uh, 26 miners. And all through school, you know, she had kids who had lost a father, an uncle, or an older brother in that mine accident. So a very small, you know, school. So wow. Kids all knew each other. So that made a deep impression on her. And then, you know, it was really interesting to, to learn about that in more detail. So as I, I started to write some stories, it was also sort of a way of work. I was very close to my parents. So sort of a, writing is a great way to sort of work out grief and you know be able to move on and come to some understanding. And I found out <clears throat> through that process that I'm a much better storyteller and a fiction writer than I am sort of a documentarian of you know, exact, uh, this happened on this date, this happened on that date, that type of thing. Um, so I decided to turn it into a novel uh, and dedicate it to my parents, which freed me up um, to kind of go where I needed to go to tell a really good story. And I, some of those um, fragments uh, that I learned about my mother and certainly my father's side of the family as well, the, particularly the political activism on his side of the family, they found their way into the book, mm. which, of course, is a novel. So that was a meandering answer. I don't know if I. <laughs> no, that's perfect. So, so how long have you been? How long did it take you to write this book? Um, it's interesting you ask. I, today I was cleaning out the study, uh, and I came across. Uh, I had been a member of the Burlington Writers Workshop. Um, which is a group in, in Burlington of, of, uh, of writers who share their work and get feedback from other writers. Um, and that had been very foundational for me to get started. Uh, and I, I was going through uh, a number of the things I had written from like 2013. And even as 2013, I was still toying with the memoir genre. So I would say 2014, I, I made a firm decision I was going to write a novel. Uh, so here we are seven years later. Uh. <laughs> so so talk to us about the process on that. Is And so you decided, like you said, like seven years ago, you're going to write it. Um, and how, what was it like to kind of like switch that and to kind of get in that writer's mode? And was it, talked about your style, like did you, Sit, did you 
take time out of every day or was it more of like as time as you had free time or how structured or how loose were you on on setting that up i'd say uh, you know i was working a lot um particularly in the mornings um and it would vary i mean i <clears throat> i spent a week one summer in the vermont studio school and i was probably working 16 hours a day i got you know, a good chunk of the novel written in that week. Mm. Um, and I, I would tend to go in fits and starts. Um, and because it's a historical fiction, I, you know, I didn't, unfortunately, I did not do all my research first, which is, I think, probably <laughs> a good way to approach things so you don't have to keep stopping. Right. So I, I, I had to do a lot of research as we went along, and, and I realized what was going in the book because I didn't necessarily start with a, with a strong outline. I started trying to find out who are these characters? Who are the two protagonists? Um, what do they care about? What are the, what are their challenges? Um, what are the stakes involved? And once I kind of got a feel for that through just writing them and let it, you know, I mean, a lot of writers talk about the characters telling you what to do at some point, that does happen, mm. but for a lot of the book, it was a it was a wrestling match. You know? <laughs> uh, but once the characters started speaking to me, then then I had to sort of go back and actually do some serious research, and you know, um, so that I could create a setting that was you know felt authentic and was believable, and I could believe it, right. Uh, so, you know, it's set in the 19th century. So I had to learn about trains. I had to learn about other technologies. I had to learn about literature that was um, available at that time. Um, I have a, a, one of the characters is a chess player. I had to learn about how did they play chess in the 19th century. Um, and how, was, so, so as an author, how, how difficult was it to have to create to write a setting that was it that was historical fiction where how much agency did you not have over your characters because you knew based off of what you know about the that that context they were in they wouldn't yeah. do that or anything like that you know i had enough agency because i think um i didn't buy into the stereotypes of of people at that time you know the mm. fiddle on the roof stereotype or some others so i I think there were people were individuals right. within the confines of, of, you know, their times. I actually found that to be helpful because it gave me some structure. Okay. Um, so I didn't have to worry about them emailing each other or, you know, <laughs> picking up the phone. I, I did have to worry about when was telegraph available. Um, right that type of thing. Uh, when was the steam engine uh, used to fight fires? It was a different, so there's plenty of things I had to find out, but it, I, you know, there were a lot of decisions to make. So I certainly didn't feel um, confined. Right. Um, and as you said, it kind of, it takes place in the 19th century. The bulk and of the novel, it finishes up in the actually almost the mid 20th century, 1946. Okay. But Did you, did you have to kind of create the timeline of, of just technology before you kind of paste it out? 
Um, it would have been smart if I had done it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I would bump up. I mean, I probably wrote the book in three years and I spent four years editing. So, <laughs> you know, and, um, well, a year and a half of that was actually the publishing process, but there were probably two and a half years of uh, page by page. What are all the details here that really need to be flushed out? Um, right. So it wasn't a very efficient way to approach it. I think for the next book, I'll I'll probably get my ducks in order before I actually you know start typing. But um, yeah, it's amazing. And then I I wasted a lot of time because uh, well I knew nothing about how do you make vodka. I mean I I knew a little bit, but I I'd never done it. Right. Um, so you know, there's a ton of reading, and I probably spent much more time on that than I should have given that I don't think the average reader is going to care too much as long as it comes across as authentic and, you know, right. um, you know, like I learned about pot stills and column stills, a pot still, they make a single batch A column still can be continuous. And that technology was actually available at that time. But um, I kind of drove myself a little crazy because I wanted to do everything right. And, even now, I know there are some little tiny errors in the book. Hopefully, right. nothing too major. I'm not going to tell you what they are because <laughs> rush through it and see if you can find them. But um, yeah, there's, there's there's thousands of little details when you create a setting like that that you didn't actually live in. And yeah, right. And and so what? When as you said, you 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 did a, you did a lot of heavy editing on that as well for as you said maybe four years or so. Uh, at what point did you do self-editing? Did, did you did you have other people read it, like beta te- uh, like any beta readers at all? You know, from the very beginning, <clears throat> I had to approach as many readers as possible. I, right. I know some some authors, and probably probably some very successful authors have probably just one or two trusted readers read the book. But um, I went I went with uh, the community approach. <laughs> Uh, so in a way, it's really a community project um, from the help I got from the Burlington Writers Workshop. Mm. Um, there was a guy named Peter Biello who was uh, foundational for me as well in terms of the encouragement and support I got from him. Um, and uh, on through, um, my family read the book. They were some of the toughest critics, <laughs> uh, particularly my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Has written a nonfiction book. She was really tough, but I mean, it was good. The right. book improved a lot. Um, right on down to um, to Rootstock. They've been they they did a great job with the book. Um, Mark Greenberg uh, as an editor, uh, Tim Newcomb, book design. So right. it's been a good project. And and so what what were some of the things that that were really special you loved about the book that you had overwhelming feedback to say this needs to get out it doesn't make any sense or anything like that <laughs> well at one point the book was 125,000 words wow okay yeah. and I, I whittled it down to 93,000 and that's still at th- over 300 pages yeah but but it's an average you know the average right. novel uh, Come, you're coming in around 90,000. So historical novels can be a bit more. So it's in there, you know. Right. 
Um, I had a lot more chess in it because I, I, I play a lot of chess. I've taught it in schools. Um, I did a ton of research on, on it, on 19th century chess. And I had a big tournament in there. I had a number of readers say, cut it, cut it, <laughs> cut it back, <laughs> get it out of there. And, you know, so that had to go. Um, I had some secondary characters who I spent too much time developing and on, on this, uh, rather than the, the main. So that had to go. Um, some of the history, which wasn't directly relevant to the uh, narrative arc of the story, um, I had to cut. Um, I had, um, there's two characters. So the male, uh, the first part of the book goes back and forth between Bernard and Esther. Uh, she's known as Estes. And um, Bernard, Bernard's uh, religious, and she's not, but a big, his parts had, a lot of the scenes were in, in school. Mm. Schools were called uh, hater, headers, haters at that time. Um, and a lot of that had to go. Um, so, you know, when I was all done, it was pretty streamlined. Um, but it's a bit painful. Right. I think they uh, cutting your 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 loved ones or whatever, you know, out of the book. It's a much better book for, right. for doing that. And do you and, and and because of that, is there anything that you were able to you cut out that you kind of set aside and say, all right, I'm gonna try to <laughs> add this to my next story? Um you know, I think if I could, I would, but yeah. you know, I don't know. The next story probably is not going to have any chess in it. <laughs> uh, I don't think there'll be any religious Jews in the next story. Right. And so, so give people a bit of a synopsis, the, kind of a, a back of the book synopsis of uh, of, of uh, Harando burning. Did sure. I say it right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a story about um, a Jewish couple, uh, as I said, Bernard and Estes, and she's a voracious reader, um, a feminist before her time. Uh, she's influenced by her own mother. Uh, she has a mentor who is an actual historical figure, uh, Eliza Orzakova, who was a Polish writer and actually the first woman nominated for the uh, Nobel Prize of Literature. And um, I believe it was 1905. I don't have my notes right in front of me, but... Um, so she had that influence and um you know she she was she spent she she was lonely she she didn't have friends as a child she she also was crippled in one foot which which hampered her a bit but she was a brilliant um intellectual bernard uh was also had a nimble mind but he had a disability he couldn't read so they're a very unlikely couple, um, and they don't actually get together till the second. There's there's five parts of the book. They get together in the second part of the book, and um, <clears throat> despite their differences, uh, she falls in love. She she resists for some time, but uh, he he eventually wins her over, <clears throat> and he builds her a bookshop, and she teaches him to read. She, she's not going to put up with having a husband who can't read. 
and um, everything's going pretty well in their lives. This is a time, um, there might be a, an idea of, of uh, Jews in, in Tsarist Russia as being a uniformly horrible experience, but in actuality, um, under Tsar Alexander II, many Jews actually felt like things were getting better. Um, he was called the liberator czar, not only because he liberated the serfs, but the Jews felt like he was going to liberate them. He never quite did that, but he did um, give them much more freedom of movement. Uh, many more um, Jewish uh, students could go to college, uh, university. Um, so it was moving in the right direction. And then, um, you know, he because he allowed some freedom, there was still so much repression. I think the earlier czars, there was so much repression that nobody could even think about rebellion. But once, uh, it's funny the way once the um, autocrat lets up on the gas pedal a little bit and allows some freedom, people realize what they've uh, been missing. And so there was a big tide of revolutionary uh, groups and movements in Russia. and they made numerous attempts on the czar's life. I mean, that would make quite a novel itself. Uh, there were at least five. They blew up uh, a room under his dining room, but he just missing him, he had been late to dinner. They blew up, they thought they were blowing up his train, but they targeted the wrong train. They, a, fire, a pistol was fired at point blank range. I mean, it's, it's really uh, interesting. <laughs> Uh, you know, how close they came. Um, and ironically, on the day that Tsar Alexander II agreed to a um, constitution, which is a, you know, a step forward for Russia, that was the day that they, ex that they assassinated him. And his, uh, his son, Alexander III, was, a, was quite a brutal man, um, uh, a fervent anti-Semite. One of the assassins um, happened to be a Jewish woman. She plays a pretty big role in the book. I, I don't want to give away too much, but she has a connection to, to Estes. Um, and she was one, she had a secondary role in the assassination. So um, the Jews were blamed. Um, you had an anti-Semite in charge of the country. Uh, so, um, the country just exploded, uh, particularly in Ukraine, which is part of the Pale Settlement, into pogroms, which were, you know, uh, attacks against Jewish people, property, um, so on. Um, so everything kind of falls apart uh, for the for Estes and Bernard at that point. Um, Estes is is uh, being questioned because of a relationship with. Gessie Gelfman is the historical figure mm. um, who was uh, involved in the assassination of, of the czar. So she's under surveillance. She's being questioned. And Bernard takes off on a rescue mission to where to the epicenter where the pogroms are taking place to bring back Estes's aunt. Now, that's all I'll give away. That's quite a bit. <laughs> Thank you.
Hey folks, I just wanted to take a quick break and say thank you so much for listening and watching Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. If you can, please subscribe. If you can, hit the like button. Go ahead and leave a review on your favorite podcast app that you might be listening to this on. And remember, always, always support local artists, support local writers, support independent creators. It sure does mean a lot to them. And we will be here at Story Comic to make sure that their voices are being heard. Thank you. So, so, so let me ask you, Michael, was there anything in that, sir? Because as you said, it's like basically like you got five parts to it. And was there anything about the book as you were writing it that you were surprised that was happening? Uh. Well, you know, I didn't necessarily know where I was going to go with it. There, are, right. there, there was a big surprise towards the end, but right. I, I won't give that away. Right. Um, I guess I I was surprised at um, that things weren't as you, you know. I always thought my uh, ancestors came from Tsarist Russia, the, the escaping pogroms, and you know, horrible and uh, the conscription of children and all that stuff happened, but sort of like before and after Alexander II. Right. I, I will say towards the end of his reign, as the revolutionary activity picked up, the repression also picked up. They kind of went hand in hand at that point. Hmm. But once you let, once people sense, you know, freedom's possible, they have less tolerance for, for uh, autocracy. And the guy who came after him, um, his, he brought back the motto of his, of his grandfather, who was Tsar Nicholas uh, I. And that was uh, orthodoxy, autocracy, and um, I forget the third leg. Um, it wasn't good. <laughs> Did you, so as you're writing this, because, you know, you also have a, you, you also have a history in education. Was there anything in there where you're going to say, I need to let people know about this? This is an historical this is this is a, a piece of history that I want to make sure people are aware of. Um, the pogrom in the book um, takes place in a town called Balta, and uh, it was based on a real real events. Mm. Um, I did a lot of reading on that, and I tried to make that as authentic. I tried to make everything authentic, but this one I wanted to um, add some details that might be tough for people to read. Right. Uh, but I wanted to make it real. Right. So, you know, so you know, nobody will come away not knowing where the pogrom was. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that. Um, I mean, I learned a tremendous amount. I mean, part of the fun of writing historical novels, I feel like I, I am now an amateur expert on the time period, right? It's just <laughs> amateur because, you know, there are people who, uh, spend their lives on this this time period, and they, they know a lot, a lot, right. of, a lot of stuff. And um, <clears throat> I had to learn it sort of on the fly. But. Right. And and so, so as you said that, as you said, the book was you kind of had to cut it by twenty five percent, basically, right? Yeah. You had to take. Yeah. So you had to cut out almost like a hundred pages of it, then, right? It's quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Quite a bit. And. Um, Okay. So now it's it. I, I'm told that it really moves well. Um, you know that 
I, mean, it, it, I think before people who might not have been interested in a certain section right. would get bogged down. Um, now it, it moves along. So it's kind of a balancing act. Too many details, you know, can really bore a reader. Um, I mean, there are certain things I can read about in great detail because I'm interested in that subject. Right. But not everybody's going to be interested in the history of Russia in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So you want enough details to give the flavor, you know, um, give the reader an idea that that the author has good control of the material and is, uh, you know, an authority on that on that uh, subject matter. Um, but yet, you know, find that right amount mm. is, is, is right. Um, I mean, descriptions are great, uh, but you can overdo it. Mm. And so this being like your uh, the, as your your first published work, and as you said, you wanted to tell the story. What did you learn about telling stories that you didn't know before you wanted to tell the story? If that makes sense. Um, you know, I don't know if it was new learning, but it was certainly reinforced um, that there has to be a couple of things. One is um, there has to be something at stake. Mm. If nothing's at stake, why would I care to read it? Right. right? So in this case, there's a lot at stake. There's freedom. Um, there's life. <laughs> um, you know, um, there's a continuation of the family. Uh, and I also, um, I think when I, my, some of my earlier drafts uh, were a little too rosy in terms of the characters, um, the characterizations. Mm. Um, so I added to the, you know, I, they became more human. Right. Um, and to be, you know, flaws are what make us human. In, in a way, if we didn't have flaws, we'd be machines, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that's important uh, to bring those characters to life. And so I had a, I mean, they had, they sort of had natural flaws, like Bernard couldn't read, Estes uh, had, you know, uh, was lame in one foot. But uh, the type of flaw I had to create was more like, um, a weakness. It might have been a temporary weakness that they had overcome, but something that they did that they were ashamed of um, that allowed some growth, not just in the external political world, but also internally. Did you have any, did you have any inspirations of, of, of people that maybe like historical parts of your family, but anybody that you know, like presently that you kind of picked out you don't have to say their names in cases but like any like picked out some things just like i like that personality quirk i'm going to add that in um you know i think i think i have a lot of little fragments mm -hmm. you know we have a lot of friends and i think certain mannerisms find their way into the book not as whole people but certain behaviors um Something my daughter said when she was a little little girl <laughs> found its way into the book. Um, there's a building scene in in, in the book uh, where they're building the bookstore, and I helped my son build his house, and my father helped me build my house. So certainly, I think some of that spirit and camaraderie that we felt is also in that particular scene. 
mm. in the book. Um, so yeah, you definitely, um, I mean, I, I think the, the saying, write what you know is way overdone because if you just wrote what you know, you know, there'd be no, nothing new coming right. out of the world. So um, I think you can learn. Um, knowledge isn't finite. So you, I think you can write anything, if you, but you have to have a feel for it. Right. But that writing what you know, I, I think, you know, being the observer of people, I think that helps. Because you right. can trade here, here, and, and you know, kind of. <laughs> you have to create a, a personality that holds together. But right. yeah. so you had so talking about it, like so, you know, going back to the the timeline of your process is like so you put together. It says you t it took a few years to write it, took more years to get it edited. At what point did you say? And and how would you know did the research you did and, and what would in the process of saying all right, I think I want to get this published. Yeah. How did that process go? You know, from the get go, I had the idea that I was going to write a. I mean, after I decided to write the novel, got moved away from memoir. Mm -hmm. um, I had the idea I was going to get this published, mm -hmm. and I had a sense of urgency because you know. Um, it's kind of like when you're talking about stakes in the book, right? You know, I felt like I was writing this book because um, I couldn't actually, I'm not the kind of writer who could write about my parents and, and publish that. Um, Cause I, I just want to, I want to change things. I want to, I want to mold them a bit, not necessarily just um, embellish. Right. As my wife would say. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, but I had the idea that I was going to have a book from from the beginning. I, it's a crazy amount of confidence because I I hadn't had any writing classes and um, well, I had one very bad writing class I took um, that turned me off to writing for a few, few years. <laughs> I overcame that, and uh, I, I guess at some point I got some. I, I was getting pretty good feedback all along. Like, wow, this is good. You, know, you should try and publish this. Right. Um, so it picked up momentum as I went along. Um, the publishing thing is a real trip too. I mean, that could talk a long time about that, but it's not nearly as interesting as the writing part. <laughs> but for like for for writers' advice, what would you give? What would you give uh, um, advice to writers who are who are like maybe at that that stage you were a few years ago, where you're like, all right, I got something, I have it here, um, but I've is there a sense of fear of, I don't want to let this out into the world at the same time? Well, it's definitely, once the book is released, it, it, it feels like a release, mm. but also a loss of control. Right. Um, and Rootstock Publishing was fantastic because I was not an easy author to work with. <laughs> I don't know that there are easy authors, but I mean, I was very particular and, um, we had some, you know, we had some tension along the way, but they were wonderful. We worked it out, and as a result, you know, I, it's a better book because of because of um, that process. I would tell writers to make sure that they've done a lot of that before they get to the point of publishing. That they've had people read their work. Um, you know, good writers read their work and give them right. Um, yeah. 
and and you know and if they don't have somebody that they feel they can really count on as a single voice or single feedback then have a lot of people read it and kind of take the synthesis of what you hear on that um and i, I certainly took that approach mm. um, so i have to i have to thank you know i mean i probably had yeah 20 25 30 people read parts of the book and probably 15 people read all the book and it made the book so much better. Right. Because when you're writing it, you're so close to it. I was so close to it that I didn't see it the way somebody who um, hasn't lived it for you know four years would right. see. And what, what was some of the things once you kind of handed over to, to, to Rootstock, um, what were some of the feedback they they gave you that was brand new to what you heard from um, your friends and family? Um, you know, I think um, the editor um, was very, very good at pointing out um, a metaphor that may not have been completely spot on. Mm. Um, kind of like the, like when you when you build something in a room and you make a complete mess, um, and then somebody comes along and tells you. You know, you got to clean this up, and it was kind of a little bit like that. Like I had a pretty, I think it was a, a good book when it went to Rootstock, but it certainly was in a more raw shape than it is as a published book. And I, I credit um, the editor, the designer, um, Stephen and Samantha for mm. for that process. Um, when I first went to them, I didn't have a glossary. I had resisted that. I had heard that from a number of readers. And for some reason, I was kind of stubborn about that because I've read books that have, you know, a lot of Spanish in and they don't, they don't do a glossary. Um, hmm. And I thought you can get most of it from context. I mean, there's quite a, maybe a hundred Yiddish words, some Russian words, but uh, I guess if you hear things enough times, you know, sometimes you, you say, okay. So I heard it one more time from uh, the editor and I, so I put a glossary in, I, we added the maps. Tim Newcomb, who uh, does cartoons for seven days, mm. uh, did a really wonderful job on, on four maps in the book. Right. Um, we added a historical timeline um, and historical notes. So, um, I think all those things made the book stronger, right? Uh, made it m more um, more of an educational tool as well as a entertainment. Right. And 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 so, like I said, it's been out. It's been out for nine days, and you've gotten some really really good reviews of the book so far. There was a, a really good Kirkus review, um, which was great. Because they can sink you as well, but <laughs> you don't have to publish it if you don't want. But right. it, was, it was great. There's, I mean, it was all good. Right. Um, and then there, you know, if people do read it, I'd, I'd love for them to go on to Goodreads and Amazon. I know Amazon's a controversial uh, with a lot of people. I certainly want to support um, our independent bookstores. That's where I, I try and buy my books. 
Um, but a lot of people do shop on Amazon and they, if they see a book that has no reviews, that's not very helpful. So um, right. people read it and they could write a review on Amazon and, and um, good reads. That'd be great. Was it, has there been any uh, feedback you had that people had insights that you were not expecting at all and were surprised to hear? Uh, feedback since the book came out? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, my wife loved it. So that was really important because <laughs> she, she was, I think she might've been the first reader of the, okay. of the manuscript and she was a little tough mm -hmm. at, at for, on the first, first go round. I mean, she had positive things to say, but she also, she's a straight shooter and she, she let me know some things that uh, she thought could be improved. Right. And this time, she she loved it, but what else could she say? Because I can't change it at this yeah. point. So she had to say that, but hopefully, yeah. I know she meant it because she's an extremely honest person, right? And so, talk a bit about like the the marketing of it. How much does because uh, you, you made the did you make the decision? Did you shop around and you kind of settled on rootstock, or was it rootstock from the beginning? Um, no, it wasn't rootstock from the beginning. Um, I started out trying. Uh, trying to find a, an agent. Okay. Everybody had told me, well, if you want to get a big publisher, you need to have an agent. So I probably sent out about a hundred letters to agents. <laughs> um, I'd say most were, didn't reply. Mm. Um, I got a few nice responses back. We like it, but it's not quite right for us. I got one, one back who said uh, too much historical stuff in this book. <laughs> it's a historical novel, but um yeah, so I, I mean, I know people have spent five years trying to get a book out, mm. and it's sitting in the closet somewhere. And I, I wasn't going to do that. I gave myself six months. Mm. I started in um, April when the pandemic started, right? Which added some challenge because a lot of small publishing houses weren't operating at full speed, and um, I mean, they had like a year wait time or response some had i was going to wait a year to hear from somebody uh, on the book so um i did get maybe three contract offers uh fourth maybe um but they weren't quite right one looked like they cranked out about 18 books a, a month right and i didn't know how much editing the books got um I just didn't have a, a real good feel about it. Another one, actually, um, I, I just wasn't comfortable with the other books they carried. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm all for diversity, but I don't want to be on the bookshelf next to a climate denier. So. <laughs> right. There was one like that. Uh, there was one religious press, religious slash romantic press. that I was a little weary about that one. And then there was one really nice small press, but because of COVID, they weren't going to be able to right. tell me anything for a few months. I think I probably could have gone with them, but um, I looked around and I said, wow, there's a publisher right in Montpelier, Vermont. Right. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, you know, Rootstock. And um, I spoke with Stephen I, uh, MacArthur. I got a good vibe. Um, I actually spoke with four or five of the authors that they carry 
and they all had good things to say. Um, I like the types of books they're putting out. They, they put out books that, you know, say something about the world we live in and offers some, some hope, you right. know. Uh, yeah. So I felt good about being part of that and uh, it's worked out really well. Right. And so, so because of this, how, how much have you had to adjust your, you know, maybe like some events that you, that you're putting together because of COVID, how much is, how much adjustment and editing adjustment you've had to do for that? You know, I don't know because it's my first novel. I don't know how much if I, I would have been able to do otherwise. I do have an event at the Fairfax Library, which is live, hmm. at least at this time, on October 7th. Um, I have um, something else going on. Oh, November um, 10th, uh, virtual with the Norwich book Bookstore. Oh, okay. Um, so I've contacted the bookstores. I'll stay stay on that, the libraries. Um, yeah. You know, if everybody's as well set up as you are with this type of system, it would be, you know, it would work great. Right. Yeah. Because it, and, and so, because I see, because now, because of you, you went through Rootstock Publishing, your book's available on um, everywhere right now. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah the difference with, with Rootstock, and let's say, uh, Hardcore Brace or whatever the big publisher is, is you know, the big publisher is going to get the books into bookstores across the country because they have the name and so right. on. Um, smaller publish, independent publishers like Rootstock um, are going to um, have, it's more of a print on demand process. Right. So it relying more on the author's social media, Rootstock social media, um, word of mouth, getting reviews out there. Um, and then it can be ordered, like you say, just about anywhere. Um, but probably you're not going to walk into a big bookstore in New York City and see the book there unless I can't, unless I take some down. <laughs> <laughs> and so how did, 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 and so for authors that are listening, this is like, man, you, you, you know, they're saying, you know, Michael, you get great reviews. How'd you get something on, you know, on, on the Kirkus? Is that something that Rootstock helped you out with? Or is that something that. Yeah. Uh, Rootstock has been very helpful with that. Okay. You know, I, I, I avoided social media most of my life. I just, I mean, I probably got a Facebook account. I don't know when I, you probably know, you did your research. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it was three years ago. But I, I just have never been drawn to going on. Right. Um, but through this process, you know, they they recommended I, I get a Twitter account, an Instagram account, and a Facebook account. Right. I, I went as far as Facebook <laughs> and um and I, I do have a website, but, right? Yeah, uh, which is nice. I can when I contact the library, I can tell them to go to the website, and learn about me, learn about the book, right? Where it is. Um, yeah, and it's, I gotta say, it's a really, it's a really good website too. So thank you. Yeah. And so the and so these were some of the tips that they they gave you is like make yeah, sure they, you have a, a been, presence. Yeah, they've been extremely helpful. Um, Yep. I have a question. Um, Samantha gets right back to me. And we've entered uh, the novel in about four different contests. So, you know, that could be a game changer if you win a contest. Um, 
you, you know, you get, you get a lot of publicity that way. Right. Yeah. Well, good. So yeah, I mean, that's, ex I mean, that's, that's really exciting for you. And I know that, and like, I mean, you have like a lot of good, yeah, feedback and reviews on the book. Um, and so what are any, uh, um, any, um, exclusive announcements of any, any, any new book you're working on that you want to? Well, um, well, I actually, <laughs> I just signed up yesterday. Um, I have a friend, Diane Zinna, who uh, used to run the Writer to Writer uh -huh. project um, with the Association of Writers and Publishers. And that was extreme. I, did, I'm, I uh, was remiss not to mention that. Um, that was very influential. That sort of happened towards the end of the process okay. before I went out to the publisher. And I had a mentor, I'll just give a shout out to him, Alex Wilford. Um, he's a great writer. He won the Iowa Short Fiction Award. Um, he teaches writing down there in El Paso. And okay. he was just wonderful. He, he was actually, he actually came up with the name Haradna Burning. So I have to- Really? Okay. All right. Shout out for that as well. But Diane Zinna ran this program where she would hook um, aspiring writers like myself up with um, more accomplished writers uh, like Lex. And um, they would read the writer's work. In, in this case, he read my novel. Um, and he just gave me a ton of encouragement. Mm. So that, that, was, that was kind of instrumental in getting me ready to publish. So anyways, Diane, Diane um, is now uh, teaching a course called A Novel in a Year. Oh, wow. Okay. So I figured I'm I'm of the age. I don't know if I can take seven years to write a book. <laughs> I forget what I'm writing in year seven. You know? <laughs> uh, so there's eight of us, and uh, it'll meet throughout 2022, uh, twice a month. Mm. Um, there'll be you know individual sessions with, with her, and she'll she'll uh, do a close reading of uh, a good chunk of, of what we write, and and then the eight the eight of us will be sort of a cohort supporting each other, giving each other feedback. So if you check back with me in November of 2022, if I do, if I work hard, I should have a book roughed out. Right. And then I'm only going to take a year to edit. <laughs> <laughs> so you find it's important definitely to, you know, to kind of be your own editor for the first few drafts then. Huh? Um. I think it's important to get feedback on the on the structure of the book right off the bat. Okay. I don't think it's important. I, I don't think I I don't want to get um, as a writer bogged down in grammat too much grammatical stuff and right. and wording. Um, I don't want to have to make everything perfect before I go on to the next part of the book because right. who knows you may not even use that piece you That's just wrote. Um, so, but I think it's important to have the structure down. Um, what's the narrative voice going to be? Mm. It's going to be first person, um, third person is going to be present tense, past tense. Who's telling the story is going to be multiple points of view, single point of view. Those things I think will save a lot of work if you get to, if I can hammer those out. Cause I, I didn't hammer those out with the beginning of Rodney burning and I, I paid for it. With, with a lot of extra work. So so mostly, like you said, more developmental editing and more, line more editing. the big picture. Um, yeah. You know, who are the characters? Um, 
what what are their problems right um, yeah yeah what do they bring to solving those problems right. um, who's telling the story right so i mean there are courses whole courses taught on on narration um, so in Herodno burning for example it's what i would call a very close third person so when i'm in when it's estes is the, the point of view character I'm very close to her. When it's Bernard, I'm extremely close to him. So it's almost like there's a camera on their forehead, and you just the, the reader's seeing the book through the seeing the action through their eyes. That's how. Cool. But in the historical book, I had some excellent feedback on this, which was extremely helpful. In the historical book, if you're that close, it's like you're you're seeing everything. Um, on the granular level, it's like walking through the woods and you, you're seeing the lichen on the rock, but you're not seeing the forest, you're not seeing the canopy, you, you know. So it, I, I, I added some parts where I pulled back. Okay. And rather than like give that information to the reader in dialogue, um, which is really hokey, that, that right. comes across as very inauthentic. Because um, the characters know, know this stuff, they wouldn't be talking about it. Right. right. It, I found that it was okay to step back from the character and just be that sort of omniscient n narrator voice. Right. To start of various sections, telling the telling the reader what's going on, and then gradually come down into the body of the character, and that seemed to work very well um, as as a as a device to give both the close view and the and the uh, and the distant view. Hmm. Are you going to try to aim for another 90,000 90, 90, words? Or less. Or less? <laughs> or less. <laughs> I'll contact you when I'm in November if I have a complete book. Well, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, Michael, we're at the top of the hour now. So, um, like I said, congratulations on releasing your book. That's, that, that's fantastic. And people can – Kind of go to michaelfriedthal.com. This is where they can. Yeah, they can learn more about the, the process, about the, the story, a little bit about me. Yeah. 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 Cool. Excellent. Well, Michael, thanks again. Thank you so much. And, and you, you're going to have to come back when, when your second book comes out. I will in 11 months. Well, uh, yeah. 11 months from January. Okay. <laughs> Johnny, it was great talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you too. Enjoy. I guess I could have kept going that route, but I didn't want to, you, I know people who spent like five, five years trying to get a book out to the world where they just, it ends up in their closet. Oh, your daughter stuck that in. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit this part out. Girls, go, you, go. You don't have to. No, no, I'm, no for, for the video purposes, I will go there. Girls, go. You can see them after, Daddy. Daddy. Go, 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 go. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, let me timestamp this. I'm going to edit. No, no, I think you should keep it in. <laughs>
Maybe I'll keep it as like a, a, the, the after credits section or it's, something. It's very, <laughs> makes you very real. Yeah. <laughs> say, uh, Walter said, keep it. It's real life. Yeah. <laughs>